Ladies and gentlemen, hello again and welcome back to Don't Worry About the Government. My name is Chris Novembrino. It's a pleasure to be joining you here again on Thursday, July 21st as I speak. We have much to talk about. Some of it is familiar subjects. I guess there's some new stuff in here, but we're going to talk about the Uvalde police failure being worse than we imagined. We are going to talk about the abortion situation, the 10-year-old Ohio rape case, which is just a nightmare coming to our American soil because of what the Supreme Court did. And then, God help me, we have to talk about Joe Biden. We have to talk about Joe Biden running in 2024. We need to have a serious conversation about it. I know, I know. I know. We talk about it all the time. It's like once a month we get together and we have a chat about how Joe Biden's doing a really bad job. But we've got like numbers and things to discuss. And also I want to talk about what he has done here over the last few weeks since we last spoke. Uh, and it's not great. Um, but we got plenty of disappointment and disgust and scorn and hopefully a few jokes to spread along the way here. Uh, if my monologue at least gets off the blocks, right? Okay, so let's start with the Ovaldi police failure. I am sure everyone who is listening to this show knows what happened in Uvalde. But what has come out in the last week or so uh, in a very robust way is a lot of camera footage from that day. And, man, there's a lot to be taken away from that camera footage. Uh, scorn, of course, but also like this interesting teachable moment of even with camera footage, not everything is always as it appears to be. We'll get on that in a second. But, like, first, let's talk about what we now know regarding the response here. In total... 376 law enforcement officers, a force larger than the garrison that defended the Alamo, unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully. This is from KVUE. Actually, this is WFAA's copy. Uh, descended on the school in a chaotic, uncoordinated scene that lasted for more than an hour. The group was devoid of clear leadership, basic communication, and sufficient urgency to take down the gunman, the report says. Now, that report that is mentioned in the article, of course, has been criticized and scrutinized because it did things like lay blame at school officials for leaving doors open. And seem, let's, I think the language is like seeming to invite this sort of event here. Um, the investigation is the first so far to criticize the inaction of state and federal law enforcement officials. While other reports and public accounts by officials have placed the blame squarely on the Uvalde school police chief. Um, so what they have been trying to do is pin this on Pete Arredondo, who is the chief of Uvalde school police rather than making this a wider departmental failure but as the number 376 suggests no of course there are multiple reporting departments here and all of them were just kind of standing around and that's something that you can kind of see clearly in the video these guys don't know what they're doing and it leads to it really embarrassing moments, right? Guys walking up and grabbing hand sanitizer because, they, again, they're without direction. They're told to be in the school. They're not told to do anything. You have one officer 
who, like, we'll, we'll talk about Ruben Ruiz a bit. He's an interesting mixed bag, right? So, like, this is the guy. You have probably saw him if you're online as much as I am. Uh, this is Punisher Phone Cop Guy, right? So, Punisher Phone Cop Guy is standing there. And, and like, of course, when these videos first come out, we target in on him because, like... His background is the Punisher logo with the thin blue line thing. Like, it's super unsympathetic, especially on face value. And at the start of this day, this guy was no more sympathetic than anyone else who reported the scene of the crime there. However, unfortunately, this is the least least unsympathetic officer to report to the scene of the crime that day because it just so happens that Officer Ruiz's wife was shot. Um, and it, what we saw here in the round of body camera footage that came out is Ruiz, like, I mean, it, it's a pretty, it's an intense moment. I, I think one has to have a heart of stone to watch that video and feel no sympathy for Ruiz, even if... In the back of our minds, we still have to calibrate that this is the type of guy who really embraced that Punisher Thin Blue Line shit. So, like, he's probably a bad dude, but he's also a bad dude who just lost his wife. Um, I mean, I'll be thinking about that example for a long time only because there were people... Um, you know, people involved in government and stuff who, who were not necessarily like involved in local government, like uh, people who worked for Julian Castro, for example, who were trying to make the case, uh-oh, who were trying to make the case to people, hey, you know, chill out on Ruben Ruiz. He's not the one. You don't want to go for him. And everyone was like, shut up, shut up. You're a government man. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Turns out they they did know what they were talking about. Um, but even in the case of Ruiz, it's a nuanced one. Um, nuance and understanding nuance and making sure you're precise on nuance, though, still really important. In the same way that there's a difference between Uvalde's school police and Uvalde police. So, um, going back to that, the report also reveals that the overwhelming majority of responders were federal and state law enforcement. 149 were U.S. Border Patrol. 91 were state police, uh, whose responsibilities include mass attacks in public places. So, as bad as this is for Uvalde police, um, now what... I think needs to stay in focus is that blaming Uvalde police is not even sufficient to talk about the breakdown on this day. Um, the Uvalde police did not do a good job, but the 91 state police officers should have spoken to the 25 Uvalde police officers and 16 sheriff's deputies. That is a robust total of 41 to 91 here and their higher ranking officials, and they should have taken charge. Uh, notable here to one government official who I think deserves deep scorn is Greg Abbott, who has not attended or did not attend. I not has not can't attend them now because they only happen once a funeral for either of the two state officials killed during the massacre. Those are the teachers. Uh, yeah, teachers are state officials. Teachers work for the state. The governor and state officials should be at the funerals for every teacher anywhere in the country anytime they are shot because they are state officials. They are public servants. Um, they all deserve to be honored, not just merely cops.
Um, and, and, and of course, Greg Abbott didn't lift a figure to go to any of the 19 funerals for the victims in Uvalde. This, this whole thing is just absolutely disgusting. Um, I, I think a lot, or not a lot, but one thing that I have been thinking about, I think a lot was just like a brain fart thing, right? Like, it, it would be weird to think about this a lot. But one thing that I have been thinking about is defund the police and like the the rhetoric around defund the police from about a year ago during the pandemic right well not the pandemic's still going sadly uh but like you know peak pandemic right like when people were still really acknowledging it mass on all the time that sort of thing i think a lot about the defund the police blanket prescription for all these police departments and I think it is a real opportunity missed or was a real opportunity missed because defund the police really should have been proposed as the death penalty for these police departments that you don't start by defunding and completely rebuilding them. What you do is you start, you set up a red line. Like you have your city council set up a series of prescriptions that when the police department fails to do x y and z let's say then at that point that triggers a defunding there is no vote there is no back or like reaction or anything it's already set in stone the metric was already there should you cross this line now you're defunded um i think that's a completely valid idea um it makes it very clear for the police it, that what the rules of the road are you also want to have that in place, you know, like police department number two, right? They're going to need rules of the road as well. So I think a standing, rather than a blanket defund, I think there should be a push for defund trigger laws. Um, that when you bungle something as sufficiently as the Uvalde police did, that that results in a defunding of your police department and a rebuilding of it. So a defund trigger law rather than the blanket prescription of defund, which is a chainsaw, you know, at, at a lawn to a certain extent here. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like you're talking to a guy who's got a pretty dim view on cops, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like you, it would be weird to go to the, to the public. Hey, police department. I don't know. Poughkeepsie. They probably have done something. Like I don't. I shouldn't even name a random name a town where this hasn't happened recently. There's plenty. There's lots of small towns all across the country. Um, you, you name one of these, um, and you know, think about like going to the public there and going, "Hey, we're going to defund your entire police department," or trying to get get sentiment to just out of nowhere defund the police department gonna be hard whereas a police defund trigger law like a defund rebuild trigger law is going to have a lot less political sturm and drong up front um and will seem far more reasonable at face value no action is going to be taken nor will ever need to be taken so long as you guys stay within these lines and it shouldn't be that hard to stay within these basic lines uh and and, and should you fail to do this like if a schoolhouse gets shot up and it's pretty clear that you guys could have done something about it uh you're gone we're defunding you we're gonna make a new police department I think that that's just like exceedingly reasonable that and that's got to be what the push is is for here. Um, obviously, like I, I, I want 
I want the people of Uvalde to get justice. But when I'm thinking about this prescriptively, about like what can we do nationwide, uh, I, this, this is, I think, the takeaway here. We need defund trigger laws. Uh, next, oh God, Dan McLaughlin. Dan McLaughlin's just the mayor here. I want to mention this as a footnote here. Uh, the, the Uvalde mayor, Don McLaughlin, Don McLaughlin is his name, uh, wonderful man, responded to the publication of the camera footage with angry words for the Austin Statesman. This is the newspaper that published it, saying that they were chickens for publicly disseminating the video. I, I think one of the worst things that a public official can do like this going after the media stuff and this is a lasting effect of trump republicans are going to do this i mean they always did this but they're going to do this even more so in the wake of trump it's all fake news and actually you know what that serves is a beautiful segue for our next horrible story which is the 10 year old in ohio who was raped and the parents wanted to get their daughter an abortion and now are going through a media circus because we live in a country where there are people who not a lot of them it's only about 37 38 percent unfortunately that includes six on the supreme court the disrepresentative republican supreme court um they have decided that the state has a role in how your family tree should be structured and they're very upset that this family in ohio had a different vision for how their family tree ought to be than than the state has um so let's talk about this um so for starters this story gets reported and the immediate disposition of republicans and conservatives and some of whom are my friends and should have known better and didn't um was that this 10 year old uh had in or this 10 year old story was faked that that especially because joe biden embraced it that the, this was not a real story that this was just attention grabbing and just being used for the democrats even though this is a story originally reported i believe by wcco um if i had my call letters right um that they're out of columbus ohio i believe and then the copy i have here is from the columbus dispatch which gives an update on this, which of course has sent the conservatives spinning in a different direction now. So initially the conservative approach to this story was it's not real, neener, 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 this isn't happening. Um, once, unfortunately for them, it was indeed happening. Uh, they have now had to change their tune, um, particularly as a result or new details have come in. This story feels almost like it was made in a laboratory to short circuit the conservative mind in a way because the rapist in this case is an illegal immigrant. Um, his name is Gerson Fuentes, um, who lived in Columbus. He's been charged with a rape felony in the first degree. He's confessed to raping the child on at least two different occasions. So th this is definitely the rapist. It is definitely known. Um, now that conservatives can't fall back on there's only a single source or whatever. Now, now they have to change. Um, and, and, and now we're still, now they have a real problem on their hands if they were actually going to seriously engage with this, right? Like, of course, they're upset about illegal immigration. They want to make this a story about illegal immigration. But isn't this also a fun little cleavage point among their faction about 
um, I hate using the term, but I want to use the term they would, anchor babies. Um, you see, because if this 10-year-old is forced to have the child of this rapist, um, wouldn't she be effectively creating i i like really hate that term like i it just it feels like hyper gross it's like i i know people are like don't call them rape babies but like i don't know babies from rape like what do you i, I there isn't actually another way around that anchor babies is like I, I mean it's so crass um so yes um now <laughs> Uh, uh, other doubters included the Ohio Attorney General, um, uh, now, and then of course rejoiced at the arrest because, like, this is the whole point: the Republicans don't want this story to be true. In part because in Ohio right now they want to pass strict new anti-abortion laws, and many of these states don't want exceptions for the cases of rape and incest. And many Republican politicians have basically been saying as much. Um, we got a lot of work to do here. Um, and Joe Biden, for his part, isn't the guy, right? We're now, we're now a month in to Joe Biden's response on Roe versus Wade. And I want you, especially if you are someone who's still kind of in like the, the pro-Biden-ish camp, maybe, maybe you're like, I'm listening to Chris because he's thrown down this case for a Democratic primary that feels credible. And like, he doesn't want the Democratic Party to fail. It's clear. Uh, he wants them to be better. But also, I'm still kind of hanging on to this Biden thing. I feel you. I am glad you are here. This is who the show is for today. I don't, don't worry about the mean old lefties. It's just you and me right now. It's just you and me. Let's just talk about some numbers right now about our boy Joe Biden, right? Okay, so you and me, you remember when Joe Biden was running in the primaries and he was saying stuff like, vote for me, Jack, and, and the Republicans are going to come to their senses like, like a fever. It's going to break. The, the fever will break. They will come to their senses. Don't worry, Jack. Uh, and I'm the guy who can do it. You can't vote for the progressives because if you do that, the progressives, the, the Republicans will never chill out. But if you vote for me, Jack, they're going to chill out. Before I even get into the numbers, does that vibe with your reality? Me neither. Me neither. It's okay. It's okay. This is not what is happening. We both know this. We both know this. But, like, let me hit you with this. Almost half of the Republican candidates thus far for House, Senate, Governor, Attorney General, or Secretary of State who will appear on the ballot in November have either questioned or denied the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Almost half. That is like not a small wing of the party and you might go okay but that's not half and i feel you bro i feel you bro but you and i both know how republican politics works right the wing wins it's not like our party it's not like how it worked for us right where the squishy moderates they win like we don't you know we would probably like someone a little bit more progressive than biden right but like you know the moderates always win and they like bash the progressives and they hate the base republican leadership fears the base and like the tea party comes in they take over the trump surgency was never majority movement it took over about half of the elected running for election Republicans, they believe the election is faked. And like, I mean, seriously, for me, 
that is still a pretty impressively high number. I am stunned that we are still up at half, right? Now, now here's another crazy fact. Earlier this week, Trump and his team were actually still in court trying to overturn the election results. They are keeping this kayfabe up. Like, no, no, obviously, like, well, you can laugh at that and go like, really? Trump's going to, like, try to win the election now? No, of course not. That's not the point, right? The point is that if you are going to sell a lie, if you are going to do kayfabe, it is kayfabe all the time, baby. In politics, not like in wrestling. In wrestling, people get to drop the act. They get to do meet and greets. Thank you for coming to the show. Really nice. People get to know their real names and stuff. In politics, it's all work, but it has to be a classic, like, 1970s style wrestling work where, like, even... Even outside on the streets, bad guys have to be bad guys. Heels room with other heels. Baby faces room with other baby faces. Republicans and Democrats not supposed to be seen together, even though they're all friends backstage. American politics is like this. Trump is keeping up the kayfabe. He gets it. He gets it. And by keeping up the kayfabe, he forces people like Ron DeSantis into a really tricky double bind. Does Ron DeSantis say... Actually, the election was stolen. Trump should still be president. And then what is the point of running for nomination? How do you possibly mount an argument from there? Or does to do Ron, 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 to do Ron, Ron decide to go, actually, Mr. President, sir, the election was rightly decided and Joe Biden is president. And how do we think that will land with the Republicans? I know there are people listening right now who think that DeSantis has like a really good lane for this. And I know that there are people backing him up. I know that he's getting money. I'm aware of all of these things. I just remember a guy named Jeb Bush, who is also governor from Florida, who like thought that maybe he could squish his way through this. And he's not going to be able to. He's not going to be able to. It's going to be Trump again, um, unless something happens Trump health wise. But. I, I don't see it happening. I, I just don't. I mean, he doesn't, he's not in great shape, but I just don't see it happening. And the problem here, too, being, even if you want to question his health, look at Joe Biden. I, as I am taping this today, Joe Biden just sort of like randomly volunteered that he has cancer from being exposed to so much oil when he was younger. And like now he is embroiled in this weird controversy where like New York Times and Washington Post fact checkers are like, well, actually, he said in his physical that he had melanoma from the sun. And then people are like, yeah, but the sun's not oil, dude. He says something completely different there. So who knows what's going on with Joe Biden's health? Um, that's an open question. Like, like, I, I mean, again, this is, this is just you and me here, just you and me here. Uh, the video won't work for me. So like, we really, we really can pretend it's just you and me in the room. And like, even, even when the video works, like, like, look, it's just, it's just you and me. Like there's, there's nobody here. I'm, I'm having, I'm having a butterscotch soda, right? You know, butterscotch beer is actually what this is called. Um, it's yummy. We're just chilling, hanging out. We're just talking about Joe Biden. We're just talking. Um, okay, so like w when we're talking about this, let's talk about a few things. So there was a round of polling that came out, and, and this round of polling has been very bad for Joe Biden about running for re-election. These are like Trumpy bad numbers, and and I know that's weird. It's it it feels like it shouldn't fit because Joe Biden's not out there tweeting every day, and I get that. 
Um, and I get how on certain levels, like, he's just not Trump. And that, like, no, that's working to his advantage. But, like, let's weigh some things out real quick, shall we? When Donald Trump was president, like it or not, and whether it was his fault or not, um, and it really wasn't, other than, like, the promise of a big tax cut bill that would allow for big corporate stock buybacks, um, when Trump was president, the economy was pretty good, right? Uh, I mean, like, okay, there were issues. I know, like, there's our labor analysis and critiques of other things. But, like, retirement portfolios, housing prices, a, a number of things for the middle class and the aspirant middle class were actually kind of flowing in the right direction right now. Now, Joe Biden president, um, and, and a lot of this is starting during the pandemic. So, again, this is not all of his fault. I it's you and me. It's just you and me. We we know that he's this, this Joe Biden inherited a fucking mess. Like I mean, come on. Like Joe Biden inherited the wake of Donald Trump's presidency. Yikes! Yikes! That is a that's a bad leave. Um, we get all of that, but the, the pandemic. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy that we're back over a hundred thousand. Like, and that Joe Biden's telling us to go back to work. And he's telling us to go back to work while inflation is sky high and gas prices are sky high. Uh, I mean, the economy is not good right now. Um, COVID's not really under control right now. Um, I've, I've got students who have COVID uh, right now. Um, there are a lot of problems. Housing prices are not good right now. People's stock portfolios are not in good shape right now. And, like, I get it. You could say things to me like, well, you know how many, what the percentages of people who actually have stock in this country, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. But, like, the word of the time is vibes, right? All these feed into vibes. So you can hit me with percentages, but I'm hitting you with vibes. And right now, vibes win. And the vibes around what is happening around the Joe Biden administration they're weak vibes. And then we get to the way the guy's governing. Um, and, and, and most importantly, it's a vibe thing, right? Like, you can tell me he did this or the, you know, well, he did pass that one, you know, $1 billion uh, bipartisan deal last year. You know, uh, there's that. Um, but the vibe is that Joe Biden's not really getting it, right? And I've talked about simple things like disqualifying millennials and gen xers who are qualified to enter into government because they have the temerity to use weed in a state where marijuana is legal because joe biden's such a moralist on marijuana and not recanting on that and actually initially lying to them to bait them in they applied then they got denied after they got caught with this um and, and they were transparent with them when they could have lied early on right um like that's not great that was an indicator that he's out of step uh, you have Joe Biden now when it comes to, uh, I mean, even the Democrats on like, like, you know, George Floyd and everything like the Kenta cloth. Come on, come on. Right. Like that felt out of step. They keep sending this out of step vibe, um, student loans and stuff. Joe Biden has just been like absolutely obstinate on it. Um, 
the vibe of acting like $1,400 was the same as running and saying that if you vote for these two senators in Georgia, we're going to pass another 2000 Um, And then the general vibe of the way he gets played by Joe Manchin, um, which, you I mean, you know, if you want to be generous to him, started as early as when Joe Manchin, let's say it was Joe Manchin, negotiated Joe Biden down from 2000 to 1400 He got Joe Biden to slash 40% off of that check to all of us. Um, and then the Joe Manchin hits have just kept coming. And the vibe that you get all the time is that Joe Manchin has Joe Biden's number. And I mean, come on, try to make the case that the vibe's the other way, right? That Joe Biden's really playing Joe Manchin here. Come on. You know, it's not, you know, it's not, we don't need to even pull up articles here because we're like, especially when we're talking about independent voters, right? Like, are they pulling up articles? Are, are these people who, like, vote for Trump one election and, and vote for Biden the next election, are they, like, big article readers? Or are they vibes-based? Or are they vibes-based? Um, so, like, if you're going to argue, argue the vibe. Um, and, and I don't think you can argue that vibe. Um, so the whole background of this administration has been, like, I, I comped it to Jimmy Carter, but, like, I don't even think that that's really fair to Carter. Um... Although I guess there are some interesting analogies here. Like, like you could look at like the Russia-Ukraine situation is sort of like his Iranian hostage situation. Um, and that like, you know, his inability to figure out a way, way to actually bring that to a close might, might end up wounding him um, and, and hurting his presidency to the point where he can't continue. Um, and I guess another place where it would look familiar is if he got primaried um, or if he was basically put in a position where to save face, he had to announce he was not going to seek re- or re-election. Um, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into that one random little cancer comment today. But like, boy, if we were ever trying to like start seeding the wind for a narrative where Joe Biden needs to like not run for re-election because he has a new health issue. Um, that's an interesting way to do it. It certainly is. We'll see what happens on that front. Um, just hit you with some more numbers here though. Uh, Biden's approval hits 33%. Democrats want 2024 options poll shows. That's from the New York times. Just 18% of Americans say that Biden should run for reelection, uh, in 2024. Uh, more Democrats say that Biden should pass on his second term then say that he should pursue one is the sub headline. That's 41% to 35%. Um, that leaves a little bit of people in the middle who aren't sure. I mean, dude, if half your party is not sure or decidedly against you seeking reelection, it's got to stop. This is, this is a bad way. Um, but like, let's get deeper into these numbers, y'all. Again, it's just you and me. And we're trying to talk about what the future of the Democratic Party is here right now. We want a better Democratic Party. Um, a survey from the New York Times and Siena College found that just 1% of 18 to 29 year olds strongly approve of the way Joe Biden is handling his job. Just 1%. And 94% of Democrats under 30 said that they want another candidate to run two years from now. Of all age groups, young voters were the most likely to say they wouldn't vote for either Biden or Trump in a hypothetical 2024 rematch. The rejection of Biden among young people is something 
that you and I, I mean, again, I'm assuming, you know, like we're millennials. Maybe you're an Xer and you're listening to me as a millennial. You still think I'm young, but like I'm not. I'm now 36. Uh, you just remember the, the before times when I was like in my late 20s. It's not like that anymore, friend. Um, I'm now getting old too. Um, there are these younger people coming up and 94% of them reject Joe Biden in a way that I mean, on the page looks maybe even stronger than the way I've been talking about the guy. So I don't, I guess maybe I'm a little less out of step than I think I am at times here. Um, at least when it comes to the younger people, um, cause they can't stand Biden either. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Um, Biden doesn't seem to care on really important issues um, like abortion and, and abortion for younger people um, is is a massive issue. There's actually a 20 point uh, two thirds of younger people favor um, abortion rights. Um, actually, I'm sorry. Um, let me get the total here. 70% say it should be legal in all cases or legal in most cases. So that's 41% saying it's legal in most cases. 29% saying or legal in all cases is 41%. Legal in most cases is 29%. Illegal in most cases is 21%. Um, and only 8% say illegal in all cases. Um, illegal in all cases, by the way, has really bad numbers across the board when compared to legal in all cases. Um, the inertial force here is clearly on the side of medical liberty, family planning, um, and keeping the family out of, or keeping the state out of the business of the family, whether that comes to a Burgerfell or whether that comes to family planning, you should have the right to say what your family tree looks like, not the state. Um, there's not actually a good place for the state to intervene like that. Um, or, or, or if the state is going to have some sort of say so in that, it really does when you start thinking about should the state have a say of who is and isn't in your family really feel like it should be a pretty light touch. Um, and that's only one way of framing it too. Like we don't have to talk about the state planning your family tree. We could talk about this again about medical liberty. Um, and a lot of the same people who oppose abortion, of course, are the same people who oppose mandatory vaccines. So like, like there are a bunch of different ways onto this horse um, and like, that's why we will win this debate. Um, I mean, a net, but a net 70 to 28. Um, and then with millennials, 64 to 35, um, 64, you know, that's, that's a straight two thirds. Um, it's Gen and even Gen Xers and boomers don't agree on this. They, they have like, they're, they tend, they tend to break just like, uh, some of the millennials, unfortunately tend to break more of the squishy legal in most cases sort of scenario. Um, but like, you know, I, the other thing, dude, is like legal in all cases, the numbers are pretty clear here. Like there just aren't that many like ninth month abortions or anything like that. It just doesn't happen. Uh, it, not with any degree of frequency. Um, And on the flip of that, the rape and incest exception, while, of course, I'm not saying that those things don't happen. I, I, I want to make it really, really clear as I make this point that I am not trying to say those things don't happen. They so obviously do. Um, 
However, when you actually look at the figures for how much they account for in terms of elective abortions, they are a small percentage. So I would also caution, like this is where I'm going with this, don't get sucked into the trap of debating rape and incest exceptions only or just like taking a deal that carves out rape and incest exceptions where that makes the Republicans seem reasonable. That would cover a, a unbelievably small fraction of people and like really is, I mean, that allows them to sidestep the idea that a woman has a right to determine whether she wants to carry a baby to gestation um like in any circumstance i mean like you know really benign ones too like let's say just your birth control fails right like should you be punished because your birth control fails uh republican answer will be of course you won't you won't you won't have birth control so that won't even be a problem soon enough um uh, but like you know there are a bunch of really obvious decent cases that are reasonable and like they're not like huge straw men or anything that would be ignored if we just talked about rape and incest exceptions and we let them get off as seeming like they were reasonable or moderate or middle groundy. Um, I guess what I want to say here is, no, it's got to be abortion, fuck yes. Um, and, and the way you get the 18 and 29s is back on this is abortion, fuck yes. And when I look at this 70 to 30 split um, with 41% saying abortion should be legal in all cases, and then you compare that to Joe Biden's response, you can see real quickly why Joe Biden, who had to be dragged to a pro-choice position, um, as I've evidenced on a previous episode here, so like we don't need to recap it at this point. You know, you know what that sounded like. He had to be dragged to that pro-choice position. So yeah, 94% of Democrats under 30 go like, yeah, no, 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 no. And then guess what? Like he did this Saudi Arabia trip and I, I get that I'm kind of a minority opinion on this, but like, let's talk real quickly about why we have to do the Saudi Arabia trip. R really, really. Because Joe Biden won't do anything with regards to Ukraine. Um, the Ukrainians are currently, you know, actually outperforming expectations and considering limitations in their capacity and stuff doing quite well. But the reality has always been, and even by Biden's own framing on this, uh, the, the reason that we are experiencing this inflation right now and the reason we are experiencing these high prices at the pump is because of the Russian conflict in Ukraine which he's trying to point the finger at Putin, but that finger bends around and comes back and points at him as well and the entire West who don't want to do anything on this. It goes to the Germans who are very dependent on Russian oil. Um, it goes weirdly to the Greeks who have a lot of extra tanks to spare and could actually spare the tanks to the Ukrainians and it would be easier to mobilize those tanks from Greece to Ukraine than the United States. So I, like, I want to be clear. This is not like a U.S. only thing, um, but like Joe Biden should be trying to rally the free world to go do something um, because he is saying and markets basically believe this, too, if you like read any of the financial information as well. The issue is not with the U.S. economy. The issue is that there's a conflict with the, with Ukraine that is interrupting the oil supply lines and creating weird disparities in the oil market uh, that the Indians uh, in India are taking advantage of and buying unbelievably cheap Russian oil um, like at a, at a rate that like the Russians might one day come to regret. Um, no, like that that's the problem here. The problem here is like we are 
I mean, we might be buying that oil back from the Indians at some point, I suppose. Um, the, the problem is, is that this, this Ukraine thing goes on. Um, and rather than do anything with the Ukraine thing, that is my initial point of criticism here. The Biden administration decided that they were going to, as a Hail Mary, because like they didn't want to do nothing about Ukraine, let the war crimes pile up. <laughs> they might decide someone to write that Wikipedia war crimes page themselves. Hell. Um, and, and, and as that is happening, uh, again, this is supposed to just be you and me, but I start talking to the rest of the wider audience here for just a second. Uh, the Ukraine thing doesn't sit well with me, dude. It really doesn't, friendo. My, my friend. Um, I, it, it, it's like pretty morally unconscionable. Um, and the lasting one, two punch of the Trump Biden years is pretty contemptible. Um, we have said things like, <laughs> like, uh, let me run this down here. Um, we have said things like killing journalists. Well, we don't like that. Uh, but you know, um, it's a small price to pay for civility with Saudi Arabia and, and Israel. Let's not forget about Israel killing journalists. Um, war crimes, we don't like them, uh, but we'll do them in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and we'll certainly allow them to happen in Ukraine. Uh, you know, say, you know, it's certainly stopping them is inconvenient. I, I mean, even things like uh, when the Russians attacked the Skripals on British soil, like that was a war crime and we did nothing. That was a Donald Trump move. Um, but the president is still really clear between these two presidents um, that war crimes. Yeah, they're OK. If we're not if stopping them is inconvenient. Sure. Whatever. Domestic terror. Um, th this is a squishy one. You might go, well, Biden's doing something about it. Is Merrick Garland doing something about it? Is it really Mueller time with Merrick Garland? I don't think so. I really don't. Um, so, like, anyways, the, the general basic approach to this has been, yeah, we'll, we'll tolerate domestic terror. I mean, we'll make a little bit of a fit about it. But, like, if holding the terrorists accountable actually involves saying unflattering things about U.S. politicians or possibly taking them into account, you know, holding those politicians to account, because it's not just Trump, right? It's Josh Hawley, it's many members of the Senate, Ted Cruz, um, not just a participant in the big lie. He wanted to go and defend the big lie before the Supreme Court. We're letting all these people off the hook. Just, you know, like, like it's it's the Evaldi strategy, right? Like, you pin it on the school cops, and when that doesn't work, you just pin it on the local police department so that you can keep kind of, like, downplaying who's really responsible here or, or like like not who's really responsible like the full fullness of responsibility here um and then of course state enforced mandatory gestation i mean not great but like we don't want to hurt the feelings of religious people so we're not actually going to attack this in the metaphysical realm as it needs to be attacked we're not actually going to be aggressive on this we're going to keep trying to like not hurt the feelings of religious people and don't get me wrong again i don't begrudge anyone for believing personally in a god i do begrudge everyone extremely for trying to impose the beliefs of that god on new broader society hell fucking no um it is not okay and it, uh, you, you can't middle ground this shit because the the middle groundy stuff is gross stuff like state enforced mandatory gestation and we we come up with these brutal policies 
as a way of avoiding stepping on the toes of religious people, of hurting the feelings of religious people. And I just don't think that that's really worth it. I I, I don't think that that's a, a fight worth having. Um, and, and I, I don't think, or a, a fight, you know, a, a thing worth saving. Uh, I'm sorry. We, we tried. It didn't work. Um, but between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, this is, this are these sort of acceptable norms. Um, the international community continues to talk about the Roe versus Wade decision as like a, a tragedy. You had a, what was it? Prince Harry today or, or not today, but like a couple of days ago, giving a speech on it. Like th- th- there is a real sense of wound from the Western world that we, we try to be aligned with. Um, insofar as anyone's applauding us, it's the people historically, the Republicans like to consider their enemies. So maybe they should consider why their enemies applauding, uh, a new policy position that the conservatives here have taken. Hmm. Is it because their enemies are actually conservatives? Uh, I don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. Um, but like, I, I guess this gets to it. There's, there's another article. Uh, I don't want to go back to it, but like there's an article I was reading about, young people being upset in particular about this gerontocracy issue. I keep talking about it. And like Anthony Fauci this week makes headlines. Um, and I know people are like, well, he said he would leave at the end of the term. Dude, like Anthony Fauci is 82 and he will have been at this pandemic thing for six years. He was 78 when it started. So he's like 81 or 82 now. I am sorry. He should have been training his replacement all along. He should have been doing that during the Trump years when he was constantly on the hot seat to be fired. It's fantastic that he made it to the Biden administration, but he should have been out the door at the end of 12 months and his replacement should have taken the chair. Fauci should not still be there. And this idea that you can still perform perfectly fine at 80 something, like he's showing off. I, I like, I get it. I don't want people to just like shuffle off this mortal coil after they leave their job. But guess what? You don't have to. You could still go jogging like he likes to. Um, and oh, by the way, he should do this because his wife got death threats. Every day the guy stays on the job and doesn't train his own replacement. It's one more day that his wife potentially gets a death threat or worse still. Right? So, like, yeah, I get that he's not on TV as much anymore. But, like, we've seen how these people have been towards him. It's been crazy ball stuff the whole way down. But Tony Fauci still won't go. Still won't go. It's Ruth Bader Ginsburg stuff. Uh, And I get it. I'm not saying this, like, the way the Republicans do. I'm saying this because we need to see what this aberrant behavior is clearly. Chuck Grassley does it. I can name Republicans who do it too. It's not like, you know, it's exclusive to the Democratic Party. Gerontocracy is a real problem in this country. Uh, but like Tony Fauci, yeah, no, he's he's on the bad side of this now. Like and this little media round this week, don't take his spin. Don't take his spin. Uh, he, what he's doing here is, is not okay. Um, the Saudi Arabia trip. This thing went so bad that the administration at the end of the Saudi Arabia trip started framing it as a meeting with the Gulf Cooperation Council so as to downplay how much Saudi Arabia was actually involved in this. Um, But, I mean, come on. It doesn't get funnier as an example or more obvious 
as a fucking example how clearly Saudi Arabia was involved in this than the unbelievable parade and the TikTok around. I I like don't I, I want to kind of run that down, but like I also think the show's getting long in the tooth, but it's really funny if you want to look it up of how they decided that Joe Biden needed to fist bump with Jamal Khashoggi. Now, or, or, or I'm sorry, not Jamal Khashoggi. You can't fist bump with Jamal Khashoggi. You know why? Because he's dead. Because Mohammed bin Salman killed him. Um, Mohammed bin Salman, they, they wanted to fist bump with Mohammed bin Salman or have Joe Biden do it singularly so as to place some degree of distance between himself and and the Saudis. Now, this was already not sitting well with the Saudis. However, there appears to have been some hilarious miscue. And the end result is that everybody, everybody fist bumped MBS. Um, which, like, really is iconic. It, like, really doesn't actually get much funnier than that. Like, somehow everyone in the room just fist-bumped a war criminal. Uh, this went so badly, so badly, that both the Wall Street Journal and Vox have almost identical editorial headlines. Biden's Saudi Arabia visit went worse, or was worse than an embarrassment. Biden's fist-bump was Saudi Arabia's MBS undermined U.S. foreign policy. I'll let you decide which one was the Vox one and which one is the Wall Street Journal one. Good luck. That it, it is not easy because uh, those are, yeah, that, that that would actually be a tough one. I I don't think. I mean, it's a fifty percent chance, I suppose. But man, uh, it, that, it's still not gonna be. Use your noodle. Use your noodle. All right. U.S. President Joe Biden said later on in that week that he would keep Iran's. Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps on the foreign terrorist organization list, even if that killed off the Iran nuclear deal. Like, it, it is... And this is what I was getting to earlier about, like, incoherencies between Trump and Biden. I am sorry. You cannot go and fist bump a fucking war criminal and then go like, but we won't talk to Iran. No way. Like, I, you know, we'll turn a blind eye to Israel killing journalists, but we won't talk to Iran. Like, like no. No. Like, I'm sorry, we don't have this high ground with the Iranians anymore. All we have is realpolitik and actual strategy and leverage now. They're, like, the, the, the people we choose to be in bed with in the Middle East are, if they're better than the Iranians, and I've heard people make this case to me, you know what, I'm not going to even say they're even money, right? Oh, let, let, me, let me just grant the Iranians are worse. Don't want to deal with it. Um, if they are worse... And I'm still going to only say if uh, they're not, it's a question of degree, right? It's not like dealing with, you know, bad and good. This is dealing with bad and more bad. Um, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll grant the Iranians are more bad, but like spare me this idea that the Saudi Arabians are anything that, remotely on the good side of the ledger. They are not. And Biden going over there, fist bumping the blood, the bloody hands of Bin Salman, and then trying to act like he's still got some moral high ground on the Iranians. Spare me. Spare me. And like, again, this tough talk shit, right? It comes at the expense of the Iranian nuclear deal. And so I just want to emphasize this. If you, if you who is listening, thought it was stupid when 
Donald Trump exited a perfectly fine nuclear deal with Iran, then you must also agree now that it is fucking stupid to scuttle this restarting of the treaty. Um, in particular, in particular, because like things are actually, I, I know I sound doom and gloom. Things fundamentally are weirdly good for the Democrats. Why is that? Let's talk about that for a moment. And and this is this gets back to why Joe Biden's dithering on pro-life is is so or on on medical liberty um on the Roe versus Wade overturning. You know what I'm saying here. Um, his his dithering on this is really inexcusable. Go, cruising in to summer here, Joe Biden's numbers were on a steady trend line downwards. Um, you know, August 21, he was at 50%. After August 21, which is the Afghanistan withdrawal, he dropped down to 47%, and he's been kind of hanging out there ever since. It got to down to 45%. This is the point where the Republican generic started to pull ahead of the Democrats. Um, and, you know, that's bad, especially with gerrymandering and districting and then, you know, the, the fairly large amount of uh, undecideds and independents. Not a great scenario for the Democrats to be in. They're even money. We get to April, they are underwater. The Republicans are at 47%. The Democrats are at 45%. And then the leak comes down in May. We're even money, 45, 45. Again, Dem Republicans lose 2%. And then the Democrats start consolidating the undecideds. Um, it is not so much, uh, although Republican support has atrophied, and that is also happening at the same time here. Um, now, in July, um, from May to July, the Democrats went from 45% to 48%. The Republicans are now at 44%. That is the biggest margin they have enjoyed since January of this year. And one of the largest uh, margins that they've enjoyed throughout the presidency. I mean, like you go back to August 21, is 50 to 40. Um, in September, it was 47 to 40. But like it tightened up in October. I mean, this, this is a sizable gap opening up at a time when Republicans would like to be gaining momentum when many of the fundamentals earlier, remember when I was talking about all those things that are bad for Biden right now, those should be helping the Republicans. They are not because of abortion. Um, and I'm getting all of this from Echelon Insights who goes out of their way to try to downplay the importance of abortion on this. They, they, they go like, well, there's no getting around how important healthcare, guns, and abortion policy are for Democrats. For Republicans, it's, it's immigration and national security. Uh, that little lackluster, flat, flat blurb that they gave us, I think really tells a big part of the story here. Uh, downplaying abortion, um, it's the story of the election now. It is the story of our time. And the Democrats would be making more hay with this if they had a fighter at the top. They had someone rallying the troops more aggressively. Uh, these numbers would be even bigger. Um, so part of the criticism here of Joe Biden's performance, too, is that he's hurting down the ticket. 48 is great. I think Joe Biden could be back at 50%. Pretty easy. I think the Democrats could be back at 50% by being super hard-nosed on abortion. Um, even and, and, you know, part of that does mean 
making an example out of Joe Manchin, possibly, or cinema. Cinema might actually be the the more fun one to do it with, um, and make Manchin watch and go gulp. Um, Cause like, he's also never actually came out in favor of gay marriage. Uh, I talked about that several episodes ago. It's relevant again now that a burger fell on the table, right? Um, so maybe make Manch or maybe make cinema have a showboat and that helps all the other Democrats along the way too. You can use her essentially to buoy them up and go like, no, they're tough. They're not, they're so tough on this. They won't actually start going after people in their own party. Um, I think I, I, squeezing the moderates on this, especially the moderates in the row overturn, not actually a bad play. Don't want to go full on dino hunting. We're not trying to get rid of every non-progressive in the party here, but squeezing a few of these to show the electorate that we're doing something. Ooh, I see some strategic utility in that. Um, and I also see strategic utility in making Republicans commit to ever more aggressive positions on this, which they're going to. Um, it's kind of a, I mean, look, it's a weird moment, right? Like, like uh, I, I had this random shower thought today about what the row overturning moment might end up really feeling like 20 years from now when I am truly gray at that point. Mm. And let me tell you, here's what I think it's going to be like. I think it's going to be like that moment when LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act and was like, we just lost the South for a generation. Now, am I saying that LBJ shouldn't have signed the Civil Rights Act? No. Am I saying that the Supreme Court should have overturned Roe versus Wade? Fuck no. Um, that's not where we're going here. Let's make that incredibly clear. So, um, what I am saying is that this moment, that moment, the Civil Rights Act, resulted in a broad generational political alignment realignment um after lbj you get nixon nixon comes to ford it's only because ford doesn't seem to hold nixon accountable that we get carter carter goes to reagan reagan wins big um, I mean, you have a Republican moment. It's effectively the end of the New Deal era. Uh, the New Deal Democrats more or less die on that day. It's not the Civil Rights Act alone, but boy, it kind of is. I mean, there's other stuff going on there. Yeah, the Roe versus Wade thing too from the court. I mean, but like Civil Rights Act, I mean, it just changes the way southern politics works in this country and the way the democratic party works in the south and there's just no getting around it there isn't um and and you this is also how you get you know democrats like joe biden who have been in politics for so long that you can actually cite him on this where they're like taking weird positions on redlining and stuff like that i, I mean you really do have this meaningful realignment to what leads us into the i i i leftists like to call it the neoliberal moment but like it's i mean it's really like the conservative moment right like the conservatives start taking back all of the parts of government they possibly can the only thing they can't get right away is the warren court um but they'll get it in time sure uh and they'll replace earl warren with clarence thomas at the end of it um, because they'll have the presidency, but what they end up doing is they, they, they just start winning elections. Um, you know, the Republican party just I mean, even 
even with Nixon and Ford, like still continue to establish a foothold in this country. And the, we're just out of that New Deal vibe. We're now into the r- spirit of Reagan vibe. Uh, yeah, morning in America. Um, and, and I really looking at all the numbers for this show and thinking about not just this midterm, like I, it's so much more than this midterm, just looking at the way the fallout from the overturning of Roe versus Wade has gone even a month in, where the polling numbers are. This decision was not the end of anything. It so obviously, I mean, if it was the end of anything, it was the end of essentially the pro-life movement. Because I think they're now going to be viewed as the enemies. They're now going to be viewed as the machine. Um, They're going to be viewed as fundamentally uncool. Uh, Which I know sounds like lame. Or like it sounds like weird. But like, gotta remember, we're talking about young people, right? Being pro-life, 20% of young people identify as some form of LGBTQI+. Now... That strikes me as a very high number. I don't have a deeper analysis than that. But, like, I read that article. Was stunned by it. Um, Don't know how that conforms with reality or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's, like, I don't know, objectively true in the Karl Popperian sense, right? Um, They are who they are. Maybe it's a phase, right? Like, um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, they aren't going to look at this gay marriage overturning is uh, like they're going to look at gay marriage being legal as a just, righteous, and cool cause. They are going to look at reproductive rights as a just, righteous, and cool cause. And their enemies, their enemies are overwhelmingly going to be older ghouls. So the uncool people are going to be the olds. And the and like the cool people are going to be the like this, the math on this is so bad for them. It's so bad. Um, I mean, it's essentially what the Republicans have done. I think is they've killed their little neoconservative era. They've killed the era of Reagan. Um, and, and like the the Reagan dream. Like and Trump, like sort of, it was a perfect guy to do it because he was like Bizarro Reagan. He's like <laughs> Reagan with brain damage. Um. No, Bizarro Reagan works better. Like, 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 actually, like, from, like, the Superman, like, Heath Ray uh, alternate Bizarro world um, that is square and everything. Like, Trump would totally make sense as the president there. Um, like, he really, you know, he brought in, it, it weirdly, brought in the stuff to bring out the end of the era. Like, like they got too much of what they wanted. And Clarence Tom, I mean, like, it's the Clarence Tom shopping list, right? At, at this, let's do a Burgerfell. Let's do, let's do Griswold. Let's go after contraception. This stuff's bonkers. It's bonkers stuff to go after. Um, and they're, they're now completely committed to it. And it's so out of step with where the younger crowd is that there's no hope of them ever getting it back to 50%. Like, you know, this is, 
because some of this stuff is not like, oh, well, they'll get older and they'll change their mind on this. No, abortion isn't like that. This is not like having a stock portfolio. Uh, that you're, you're, if anything, if anything, as you get older and you move into my age cohort, at least this has been my experience, all of these things are more visceral, not less visceral. When you're younger... Hopefully, some of you younger guys are smart about this than me. You just go around thinking you're not going to get people pregnant. Um, that, like, I don't know, even though it happens all the time, like, you know, birth control. Pregnancy is just, like, not going to happen to you. Like, uh, you know, whatever, because you're having a good time, you see. Um, but it does. Um, and then, like, you, you know, you might get woken up to those realities, too, at some point. Lord knows I have. Um, but at the flip side of that... Um, as you get older, right, um, you now start going like, okay, maybe I do want to have a family. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. I guess it's still salient for you forever until like that's until you're no longer reproductively viable, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> but even if you do, you're still thinking about wanting to do it with the right person, wanting to do it at the right time. You know, all, all these sorts of things matter, right? Um, and you would like to have maximal control for that. Um, this is not a thing you're going to chill out on as you get older. Um, and even in your early forties, it's not like you'll be so far removed from like that period of time where you're trying to have kids and the stress of like trying to manage all of that in a prohibition state. Um, you're going to resent that. It will be a lifelong resentment. In fact, essentially what the Republicans have created here, unlike, other, like, you know, normally they, they, they kind of use the, if you're not a liberal when you're younger, you got no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're older, you got no brains. They've basically created a wedge issue here where that axiom doesn't actually make any sense anymore. Um, that Like, it doesn't really work. Um like essentially if you're not liberal you really don't have a heart because like what you want to do is use the state to force families onto people who don't necessarily want them that's that's what being conservatives all about here that's like what using the power of the state to force families um and children onto people who don't want to have them you can't sit there and go that's like a brainy approach um, granted, they've tried to intellectualize it as much as humanly possible. And you certainly can't go like, oh, there's any heart in that. There isn't. There isn't. Um, there, there's this unique opportunity to reshape the Democratic Party around abortion is the flagship issue. The Supreme Court as the means to an end and really the more important part. You use abortion as the flagship issue, but you reprioritize the Supreme Court. Every election matters because that's how we get people onto the Supreme Court. Beyond that, the population in this country, yes, the Electoral College is stupid. Yes, I get that. Yes, the Senate is fucked. I'm aware of that, too. The population is so firmly on the favor of this. Um, and this is such a motivating issue. And the Republican answers on this are so piss-fucking-poor. They don't have a middle ground position. And like, like they sort of can't take one, either. Um, they just have to go, like, we love the Roe decision. Uh, and, like, Ted Cruz and other guys are like, yeah, we're all in. Fuck yeah, let's do this. Uh, so, like, they're, they're not going to chill out on this. Um, this has the ability to move Texas. It has the ability to move some of these states that were kind of purpley. But, like, in particular, Texas. If you can move Texas, they're not going to win the White House again. For a long, long, long time. Uh, you know, 
all the time. And just keep that in mind the next time you hear someone go like, well, you know, you get rid of the filibuster and then you'll see what happens. Okay, cool. You have to beat that veto pen. Good luck with that. Um, and, and maybe they'll beat it eventually and they're not going to win every election for the rest of our lives. But like, again, think about that Nixon to Reagan era. One Democratic president. One. One. Could be like that. It can be like that. It was like that. So don't tell me it can't be. Because it was. In the before time. Even before my time. These things move in phases. Um, and I, I think this is the beginning of a, a staunchly anti-Republican phase in our society. Even with the bad economy. Even with Joe Biden's out-of-step, gerontocratic presidency. Uh, I still think that things have changed things have really changed um and it's not hope like that's a weird thing is it, it, it like i yeah i guess yeah, yeah i want a better day and everything like that i'm not hopeful it's, it's not like a aspirational thing so like look at these numbers and i go huh huh i mean i, I you y'all know me if anything the thing i've been guilty of as some of you have been pointed pointed out to me in the past not wrong not wrong valid criticism I accept those. Um, I get a little too numbers obsessed. For sure. No, I read a lot of them. Um, I've not, never seen a sitting president with like 90, any part of their base, 94% against. I, I mean, right? Like that should have been where people were Trump, but they weren't. Like it, we, we can certainly argue that. They never got there. That's an interesting and strong commentary on Donald Trump, ain't it? Uh, and, and even among the under 30s who like Donald Trump, they're not even like that. Republican morality be different, y'all. Conservative morality be very, very different. Um, not for us, right? We've just never had something like 94% of any cohort of the party, let alone the most important one, the youth turnout. Because, like, like, what, what are we going to do? Pokemon go to the polls? Uh, Pokemon gold and silver to the polls. I, I don't know. What came after gold and silver? I, I don't know. I, I only, I only played red and blue cause I'm old as, as we have, we're really starting to hit home here. Um, but like, no, yeah, I played Pokemon go too, but like, no, the, 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 this is goofiest stuff. And, and okay. So on the abortion thing, like why do we need a new flag bear? That brings us to the very last story of the show here. And that is Joe Biden and this horrendous Mitch McConnell judge deal. Um, no words for how hilariously bad actually no this was the dumbest thing that i had seen him do until the fist bumping of mbs because like let me tiktok you guys on this a little bit here um i know we've been going for a minute i know i know if you need to go you can pause you can come back like i mean you know it's a podcast it's a video whatever but like give me like five more minutes ten more minutes come on come on the hell with it let's just get some deals in on the McConnell Biden deal. So Biden agrees to name this guy Chad Meredith, who's an anti-abortion advocate on the federal court in Kentucky in exchange for the promise that Mitch McConnell would stop blocking Democrats picks for U.S. attorney in Kentucky. Um, that was the initial reporting. Um, things have now gotten worse since that. So, uh, one thing is McConnell, in fact, said that he made no pledge to the White House to do anything in return for Biden accepting his recommendation. There was no deal, said McConnell. He said that Biden's 
consideration represented the kind of collegiality once routine in cooperation on home state judges that has diminished in recent years. Quote, this is a personal friendship gesture. So, right on front, McConnell, even if he told Biden one thing, he's side-knifing him. Let's get a little bit further into this from Angus Johnson here. <clears throat> we would be trading a lifetime appointment here for two short-term hires. So, like, Chad Meredith gets a lifetime appointment. Even if this was all true, the, uh, the, the other people would be all short-term hires. You cut a deal that hurries a GOP retirement rather than waiting for the judge to get bored and quit on her own. Blindside the Dems elected in a red state. Um, so, like, you, you also did this going over the heads of the Democrats in this red state, including Bashir, the governor. Uh, Andy Bashir. Andy Bashir not pleased with the White House on this and made public the June 23rd email confirming that Biden intended to nominate an anti-abortion Republican to a lifetime appointment. This is stunning to me. This drop would have dropped initially on the same fucking day as Roe versus Wade was overturned. I mean, like, we came very close to a Four Seasons landscaping and garden incident here, people. Like, like, I mean, yes, that bad. Yeah, Bible upside down bad. Yeah, no, it is. I, no, don't fight me on this. It is that bad. It is that bad. Um, That, like, Roe gets overturned, and then, like, our answer to that is, well, we're going to put an abortion guy on the, anti-abortion guy on the fucking bench. Yeah, no, cool. Good move, President Biden. Um, Biden gave the governor of Kentucky just one day's heads up on the appointment. It would have gone through on the 24th if Dobbs hadn't been released that day. Gah. Uh, yeah, he, he told Bashir that it was, quote, to be nominated tomorrow. Um, amazingly, amazingly, the White House seemed to simply forget about the Dobbs ruling. That, that they they just were not aware of it. Despite the fact that like half the internet was on SCOTUS blog and presumably people in the White House would have been too. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, and like, again, it's just you and me here. It's just you and me. They, they all went away. I cleared them all out. It's just you and me. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy. It speaks to where Joe Biden's head's at. Because if Joe Biden cared about the Roe decision, of course they would have all been tuned into it. But he doesn't. And he tells you he doesn't because he doesn't do things. It's the absence of action that is the evidence. Um, and, and on this, did he go to a rally? Has he been to a women's rights rally yet? Kamala Harris. What's she doing? I mean, no, like, let's not even talk about the crappy television appearances. We've done that. Like, has she been to events? No, they tell you all the time about what they don't do. June 29th, hours before the story breaks, White House emails the Kentucky governor to say that they forgot to mention that no decision had been made on the judge and that he should keep the first email secret. Except, like, obviously the decision had been made. And... Like, Bashir decided to leak the emails anyways, which means that Biden didn't mend fences with Bashir. Like, I actually think that this part of the story, again, this is why I wanted to do the TikTok, is equally as damning. This guy's supposed to be a leader of the party. He submarined a state-level party. Andy Bashir's a young, rising star in the Democratic Party. 
uh, young guy. Uh, we've heard William West on the show here talk about Bashir. He likes Bashir. Bashir's the type of guy who very realistically could be a national figure. Um, uh, it, he's the perfect kind of vice president guy, you know, uh, blue state governor from a red state. Oh boy. They like that. Like, and, and we have Joe Biden fucking pouring water on him disaster. And like Bashir would be a perfect running mate for someone like Kamala Harris. Like not that I, she's like the perfect candidate, but like, you know, if you're thinking about where's Bashir's utility, think Kamala Harris. I mean, even think someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, if, if for some reason Bashir and AOC linked up and like, you know, he was willing to be number two, that's a really formidable ticket now. Um, the obvious thing to do when a story like this breaks is to kill the deal and then deny that there ever was a deal. Um, what you don't do, what you don't do is go through with the deal, which is what Joe Biden did, which is what Joe Biden did. And, and so like, it's bad governmenting bad governmenting yes that's what he did he is guilty of bad governmenting bad governmenting occurred here people um it's bad government oh my god governmenting it's bad governmenting it doesn't matter it's governmenting and, and he didn't do a very good job at it um and beyond that like you know what have we done here and what is the how do you argue to someone that joe biden really cares about this you have alexandria ocasio-cortez Talking about passing r- passing a new legal version of Roe through the Senate and essentially creating an exception to where the Supreme Court would not have the ability to review it. Essentially che- using the powers of Congress to check the Supreme Court. Um, where's Joe Biden on this? Where's Joe? I mean, they just had a big vote on a Burgerfell today. Where's Joe Biden on that? I mean, he should be getting that through Congress. Is he making calls to Manchin and Cinema to get the Obergefell thing through? Or is he too busy calling Manchin and still trying to get some like weird infrastructure deal done? The idea that he's still obsessed with the infrastructure stuff when at this point, like, what what clearly matters is stopping the Supreme Court. And then, of course, there's a Supreme Court blue ribbon panel that says we shouldn't do anything about the Supreme Court. I mean, it, 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 it it's just a problem. Like, yeah, uh, I, I get... People, I guess I get people making fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being detained um, and arrested. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I've not looked at the police report. I'm assuming she was arrested, but she's at least detained and being carried out by hand and not in handcuffs. Okay, cool. Joe Biden hasn't even done that. Like, you know, you want to make fun of that, but like, where's Joe Biden been at? Like, you know, what, what's he doing? Um, not much. Not much. It, 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 it's really unfortunate um you know when we talk about him as joey time bomb like that that that's this is this is the bomb oh you know i i guess i guess i was wrong he didn't he didn't blow up on the way to the white house it's just now he's in the white house he's arrived in a moment that he's just absolutely not up for You've got people like Jim Bopp, the general counsel for the National Right to Life, saying that the 10-year-old rape victim should have had to carry the baby to term. Quote, we had hoped that she would understand the reasons and ultimately benefit and the benefit of having the child. And Joe Biden's on the edges. Meanwhile, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says that we should strip the Supreme Court's jurisdiction over abortion. 
Um, like you can actually use Article Three, Section Two of the Constitution, in script strip SCOTUS jurisdiction on that law. Remember, a lot of SCOTUS's power is expanded through Marbury versus Madison. If you're actually strictly adhering to the Constitution, as a Federalist might, uh, you you can actually have Congress write laws that remove the Supreme Court's ability to review and overturn it. Um, that can be done. Um, you know, and, and if there's a problem with that, of course, you just have to overturn it and, you know, get the president to not veto that. Uh, shouldn't be too hard, provided you can never win the White House again. I mean, they talk about getting rid of the filibuster, but just remember, people, um, if, if this plays out the way it looks like it's going to play out, the veto pen is going to beat their filibuster. Uh, they, 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 their filibuster's big, but that veto is bigger. Um, and, and getting someone in there who makes it really clear that they're going to relish using that veto pen, that's going to be powerful stuff. Um, so this is where, this is where I'm at right now. Um, these numbers for Joe Biden, they're not just like kind of bad. They're really bad. And we, he's now had a month to try to write the ship here. I honestly would like to have gotten on the air today. And been able to say that, you know, over the last month, Joe Biden's in a real mixed bag on this. But he did that one thing about birth control. He hasn't done, he hasn't even expanded um, to make senators on federal lands. I, he just doesn't seem like he's really interested in exploring a robust, actual fight for this. He would rather us get back to talking about inflation or something. And inflation will eventually go away. It does. Um, I mean, you know, unless you're Japan, stagflation, but like, like it will eventually go away. This, this will be like, I, I just, it, I don't think that that's going to be a big enough distraction to get people off of this. Um, and I hope it isn't. Um, I hope that this stays really salient. And what I hope for is that the Democrats realize that there's an opportunity to do right and do good and do well, all three simultaneously. Um, in the upcoming midterms here and in the 2024 election by taking more muscular, more robust, more progressive stances. Running theme on this show. But like, look, the numbers say what the numbers say here. They really do. Joe Biden is losing support in his own party and ipso facto broadly in the polling numbers. That's like why he's dipping so bad. It's, it's his own party. And he's losing it because he's not being progressive enough. It's real simple. The math is so obvious. And anyone arguing to the contrary is trying to find facts that aren't there to flatter themselves because they want a narrative. Like they, they want the narrative they want, but this is the narrative you got. And Joe President Joe Biden's the president that we got. And this is the show you got. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, if you want to follow the show, please do go to patreon.com slash DWATG. I am now like really committing myself to doing one extra episode a month for a Patreon supporter. So like literally double the content. Um, they got a episode here uh, back a couple weeks ago. Um, so if you're jonesing for more, don't worry about the government. You can get that over at patreon.com. Um, a more meaningful contribution. Uh, a meaningful contribution is what I would like for you. And meaningful by which I mean $1 a show. So I am not asking for much, people. Um, but I am asking for a buck a show. Um, just like all forms of art, this takes time, effort, energy, preparation. Um, you can see the show slates on the page. I do work for this show, believe it or not. I know people still think that I somehow just like grab a microphone and do this. And even if I could just do that, which I can't, 
wouldn't that make me skilled enough to throw down a dollar at? So, like, if you could, if you would, go to patreon.com slash DWATG. Um, there's links through don'tworry.tv, also at my Twitter page, which is uh, twitter.com slash DWATG. God, at some point, okay, maybe I'll do this on the premium just because it's so funny. We need to talk about how atrociously bad the situation is for Elon Musk involving Twitter. It's like hilariously bad. I think I will do a Patreon premium one on that because I almost, I almost prepped all of that. I was looking through and I was doing stocky stuff earlier today and like laughing my ass off. We really need to talk about it. It's stupid, it's frivolous, it's Musk. It's junk content, but like, oh come on, you also want some like Elon Musk shit post content. So like, if you want that, patreon.com slash DWATG. I want to thank you guys all so much for supporting this show. My name is Chris Novembrino. You all are a fantastic audience, a beautiful audience. And until the next one, bye-bye.